0: Welcome to Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Barker. Today, my guest, Brennan White, is gonna talk about the visual content and the possibility it opens up for marketing. He is the founder and CEO of Cortex, a company that has developed artificial intelligence solutions for social media marketing. Listen to him as he tells us how AI has the potential to revolutionize social media and what brands can do with it. Grew up at? I mean, you're currently in the Boston area right now, right?
1: Yes, sir. Grew up in the Boston area as well, so I uh, haven't moved too far. Uh, the town I grew up in is called Weston, Massachusetts. It's like uh, 15 miles directly west of Boston, so little sleepy town. Most people haven't heard of it, but you might have driven through it on your way to Boston.
0: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And, it's, and so, I mean, I'm assuming that you're a, a Bruins fan, you're a Red Sox fan, and that you're a Patriots or how do we
1: oh hell yeah Yeah. my uh yeah my yeah huge sports fan I'm a giant Pats fan but all all the other teams as well um and uh, my family's actually from New Orleans so my kind of second tier teams that I root for like the Saints and things so this season actually being a phenomenal season for my family the uh Pats are almost undefeated the Saints are nine and two or ten and two I forgot uh the outcome of the game yesterday but uh yeah they're both both doing very well Oh
0: there Yeah. You go. I'm I'm a 49ers fan. So we're, we're doing well too, which is a shocker. So for, I mean, used to be in the eighties and nineties, it was awesome. And then there was like 15 years where I was like, damn it. You know, this is terrible. And now I'm like, now we're back. So anyways, good things there. Well, that's awesome. I know I've been out to Boston a handful right. of times and I'll tell you the, you know, would assume that if I wore a Yankee sat that I'd probably get in a fight with about 800 people or something. Like I know how passionate they are about <laughs> sports and stuff like that. So, I mean, I would never want to test anybody from Boston when it comes to that, but, uh, I just know how passionate you guys are when it comes to sports. So anyways, just wanted to make sure you're just as passionate.
1: Yes, sir. Definitely. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So how big, like your family, you were uh, 15 minutes, 15 miles, whatever, from Boston. That's where you grew up. How big was your family in Boston?
1: Uh, I have one sister. She's uh, seven and a half years older than me. Um, uh, She actually went to a completely different, she almost, she graduated from high school in a different town. Uh, You know, like basically end of my elementary school. She goes off to college. We moved to Weston. So actually we went to a different town. It's almost like I was a only child in, in that town, at least as that, <laughs> like my Weston friends don't really know my sister too well, interestingly enough. But, uh, but yeah, just two parents, one sister, uh, very small family and that even ex- includes my extended family. I've got one cousin, uh, you know, cu- a couple aunts and uncles, not, not too much uh, in terms of the numbers on the family, but very, very yeah. cool family, mostly based in New Orleans, like I mentioned a
0: moment ago. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So the family reunions are a little smaller?
1: A little smaller, yeah. We got one actually coming up right at the end of this year, um, and they're usually in New Orleans, which is nice. So we get away from the colds, we get some delicious food. We're uh, you know Cajun background, so that food is is very delicious to us. <laughs> and yeah, I was yeah. looking for an opportunity. You know, Boston's not really known for the spicy food, so it's a nice break.
0: No, man, the Cajun food, like you can't tell me enough about that. Like any kind of like uh creole or anything anything like that is like over the top. I'm a huge like I, the food I like is like real like just tasty food. Like I want something that when I taste it, I'm like, Yeah, that's awesome. I like that where like my beer, my wine, I like something that really kinda has packed some punch to it. So that's yeah, I could I can only imagine the food that you guys are having out there for your for your family reunion. Maybe I'll make it out there one day once <laughs> I get become part of the family or something like that. You know, who knows? You are
1: welcome, sir. Let me know. See, that's uh, either there we New go. Orleans or Boston. Happy to that's, host. That's,
0: that's half the reason why i have this podcast so i get people to commit to things like that and i have a recording of it so when i show up they're gonna be like oh wow i mean i guess i did kind of invite you and i'm like i do have it recorded so let's not make this awkward let's go ahead and get those crawfish going you know like let's get some beers going and, and have some fun so tell us a um i mean you've already kind of given us some stuff but any interesting fact growing up i mean other than nobody knows that you have a sister i mean is there anything else that like um not really. But, you know, like, is there anything else that's kind of fun or you're like, oh, nobody knows that, you know, any kind of fun facts? Um
1: No, not I'm not really. No, I mean, uh, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, I have like a, I have an incongruous background. Like I was a music major in college. A lot of the my professional contacts don't know I have that background. That's usually surprising. I was also I played rugby for eight seasons and was captain of a rugby team and played in England and Australia and stuff. So. There's a few of those, but nothing too uh, too crazy, nothing
0: like super wild. That's awesome, though, rugby, man. I, it's so funny. So my son played rugby his last year in high school, and then his, nice. my wife's brother, played rugby forever, like literally forever. He was actually a coach at UNR, University of Reno, um, and played rugby, I mean, men's rugby and all that kind of stuff, early, early on. and. I actually, when I went to, I went to school in Chico, California, I actually went to a number of schools, but Chico was where I, I one of the places I ended up opened a bar, but I was supposed to do, I was actually going to start rugby. I really love the idea of rugby. Of course, you know, it's a learning curve, right? When you jump on, you're like, okay, what do I do? And where do I throw it? And what happens? You know, but there was problems <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have insurance. And so they were like, Hey, you don't have insurance, dude. Like what happens if really, you get your head cracked? And I'm like, I don't really plan on getting my head cracked. Like nobody does. And I'm like, okay, well maybe I should get insurance. So anyways, I didn't end up playing. I ended up playing footy though. This was probably a few years ago. You ever heard of footy like Australia? Yeah. 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 So that was, that was fun. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a very
1: violent, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: but I had insurance, but I had insurance, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm, Ah, and I was like, and plus I'm assuming that I've probably like lost knowledge over the years. So I'm assuming maybe if somebody jarred something that I would remember something cool or, I don't know. I can't really tell you that there was any benefits or not, but I do love those physical types of sports. I mean, that is something that I kind of like, I don't know, like I was growing up. It was always like, you know, I, I ran track and I played soccer and done, did some stuff. My family was like, kind of like, you know, California hippies. So they were like, oh, let's, you know, let's hug it out instead of like, you know, smash each other. And I'm like, I kind of want to smash a little bit. And so anyways, I wasn't really, I didn't get into a lot of that stuff till later on in life, but huge fan of rugby, man. I just, it's just a, just the camaraderie and like the way they treat each other and just all that kind of stuff is—it's just an awesome sport.
1: It's great. It's—it's so, it's funny. It kind of works like golf. Uh, I guess also works. I don't play golf, but you know, I was talking about how people bond over golf and they have this like secret business network. I, in my experience, there's like a secret business rugby network that works really well. Where you meet someone who played rugby, you know, they maybe they've got a trophy in the corner of their office or they have got like a ball leaning against the wall or something, and
0: it's and you connect done. over
1: that, and you end up being really good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Uh, relationship because a you know you've got the connection and b i think rugby itself actually lends itself to good leadership if you've played a yeah. leadership role in the team because it's, it's it's like football in that you've got plays and you've got to get 15 guys all kind of doing the same thing but it's live you know it never stops or almost never stops and so you don't yeah. really get um you know you don't have the the benefit of football where it's kind of from the same exact position you're going to have to talk and communicate on the fly and so i think it actually you know breeds kind of good leadership and the ability to to sink on your feet and make stuff happen yeah. so i think there's a lot of rugby players in positions that, you know cool cool roles throughout the business world that uh we kind of end up sniffing each other out one way yeah. or another yeah one of my uh best teammates over the years was a jesuit guy in high school and uh played rugby there and went on to actually be in the super league which is kind of at the time was the best league the u.s has now we've got a major league professional rugby league that just started a couple of years ago but prior to that he won the super league as a super young guy and was a jesuit guy so i'm even familiar with that team so that's small, awesome small yeah 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 usual.
0: it's man talk about a close-knit community that's uh, that is one of the things too on top of the networking so my wife's um uh, brother don his name's don padlock but he I'm telling you, he's, you know, the, the community, he goes into any area and they start talking about rugby. And then all of a sudden they're like, whatever you need, anything. And it is a nice little, the community's tight, man, which is awesome. So my, my, it was nice to see that my son was able to tap into that little bit on his last year. And I once to kept those connections. So that's cool. But where did you play
1: in a club later?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the funny part was I would too, except I hurt my back doing CrossFit, which is a whole nother conversation. And so I'm, I'm trying to be a little like, like you know, you get older, dude. I'm I'm trying to be, I don't know. I can't do, I want to do, like, I really want to go in there, but then my body's like, yeah, but you might like, might break your neck or something. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. So I'm, so where did, where did you go to college? Did you go to college in the Boston area? Uh, I went to Vassar
1: college. which is about an hour and a half North of New York city. Ah. um so it's in the hudson valley just just to the west of Massachusetts, so not too far like three and a half four hours from
0: boston nice um, nice i nice. see so and it's closer to new york city
1: close to new york city yeah it's uh it, you know you can just hop on the train as a college kid and be in the city in like an hour hour and a half it's pretty convenient for yeah partying and you know seeing the, the museums and going out with your friends and all that good stuff um but yeah, I actually played a ton of rugby there too, and so I spent, you know, almost every weekend on campus just training and playing games. So didn't really go to the city as much as the average kid there. But um Yeah. yeah it was a really good school for, for a lot of things and as I mentioned earlier, music major. So um they had a really great music department when I was there. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say music. So how was it? You just like, what, what was your plans for music? I mean, obviously, because you're not doing, well, you might be doing music, but I mean, that's not your professional career. <laughs> why, why music? Just curious.
1: Well, yeah, people are always kind of thrown off by it. And uh, in hindsight, it seems like an odd choice even to me, <laughs> ironically <laughs> enough, being the guy who made the call. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, to me, at uh, growing up in Weston, as I mentioned, they had one of the best, public schools in the state, but it didn't have a music department in terms of, there were no music theory classes You know, you couldn't really learn about music other than, you know, being in choir or band or something like that. And so yeah. uh, when I got to Vassar, you know, one of my passions uh, was music, um, but I was uh, full on going to be a biology major. I'd done really well in the, the AP bio test and all that stuff and kind of just came naturally biology did. And so, but when I got to Vassar, I took some kind of intro music theory courses and just said, oh my gosh, there's this whole language behind this thing that I yeah. really like. And, you know, it just appeals to, like, I've got the creative side and I've got the kind of mathy, nerdy side. And music's kind of like the the, the meeting of those two minds, right? There's a, yeah. It's absolutely art, but it's also heavily kind of based in numbers. So yeah. to me, it just felt really right. And so I just said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go from zero to 60 and go from literally no experience with this to I'm going to make this my major and, and, and do that. And the, the only thought I gave to a career afterwards was, that, you know, I really wanted to compose for film. Um mm. uh But, you know, by the time I was done with Vassar, I was already kind of thinking about starting a business and that kind of stuff and never really looked back. You know, I've done a few little projects for – and I worked at an ad agency and stuff for a while. And so I, you know, occasionally there'd be a situation where we needed a 30 seconds of music for the background of some video or something. And so right. I got to flex my muscles once or twice, but not very yeah. often. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Cause you know, you think about that. Like I, originally that my, I wanted to be my, my major, I wanted to be in photography because I really enjoyed photography, but I, I remember this was in high school. I went to like my, my counselor and I was like, yeah, I really want to do photography. My counselor was like, yeah, that's not gonna work. And I was like, Well what do you mean what do you mean it's not gonna work? Like I was you're supposed to like kinda of motivate me a little bit. It's like, what are you gonna do? Like you're gonna do weddings, you like weddings? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I'm like I'm fourteen years old. I don't never been to that many weddings. And they're like, Well, but you can't like there's just not a lot of money and I and I appreciate that, right? I mean I don't wanna you don't wanna tell people, Hey, you can be a photographer, yeah, you'll make millions, it's like, go do a kid, then all of a sudden you're like, Why am I homeless? you know. So it was like one of those weird <laughs> things, but and now I wish I would have done more photography, not necessarily as my major probably, but um, like I just, I just kind of dropped off as like a hobby even because I was like, God, this, this photography thing just sucks. Like, you know, I just went and had this meeting with my counselor that I see once a year, and boy, he just he knocked that whole idea down of the whole photography thing. So yeah, I know. So I'm sure the thing with music, you're like, yeah, I'm gonna do music. You're like, wait a second. So how does this thing work on the end? Like, what what, what do I do other than I think you know movies and stuff? You know, obviously that makes sense to do that and you able to flex a little bit um, on some stuff. So I guess it was, you know, it worked out You where you're at today. And then what was yeah. your, oh, yeah. yeah, what'd you talk, you talked a little bit about an ad agency. So what was your first job out of college? Like where did you go from after you graduated?
1: Yeah. So I always wanted to be an entrepreneur because my dad had actually started an architecture firm. um And uh he just kind of like always kind of preached to me that you don't want to be trading time for dollars and you want to be mm. like, doing your own thing. Um, and I, you know, was young and impressionable. So I took that to, to heart, but right out of college, um, you know, I didn't have any money to start a company and of course, no connections or anything like that. So, uh, I took on three jobs right out of college and just lived at home and saved money. The, the main job being a, I was a software sales guy for a tech company, uh, in Boston. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so that was kind of like my first exposure to tech and it actually was a SaaS company. Um, and so, you know, it was really it kind of early in the SaaS world. So that was pretty good got some experience selling there actually turns out I was pretty good at it so I made a decent amount of money but like at nights I would be a bartender on weekends I was selling real estate and I was just trying to save as much money as I could so I could kind of hang my own shingle and do my own thing once I had the, the right opportunity.
0: I love that man I love it you you grind it like I do you're like so during the week I was doing this and at night because I used to own a bar I owned a bar in Chico so I used to own a bar and some nice. obviously real familiar yeah the bartender side of things was was always and in Chico was like Chico was was one of the number one top 10 party schools in the nation at this time. Like playboy, had, you know, mentioned it. So anyways, it was a crane. Of course the locals were like, Oh, it's well not done. that crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't remember a lot, but I think I had a good time from what I remember from the pictures. Um, thank God there's no social media. Let, let's just put that out there. Same. Um, but, but but that's, yeah, I'd be like, that doesn't even look like, yeah, okay, that's me. That is my tattoo. Okay, that's me. Um, yeah, I um, th- the funny part is, like, I do real estate now. So I, we flip properties. I have a, a real estate company called RNS REI, that we flip properties. So that's funny that there's a lot of parallels there of, you know, I never worked for a SaaS company, but I did do some sales. There was a company I did some sales for. And I think it's kind of funny. So with your, you know, Cortex, you that probably was a little bit of a foundation for getting sales going and kind of understanding that whole process, especially in the SaaS business, right?
1: Yeah, it's funny because you know there was like a eight year gap or so between you know those jobs and Cortex, where I founded a a digital marketing agency and did that, um, which the sales there is actually quite different. Um, But yeah, the sales skills I learned were probably some of the most valuable skills I I have. And then of course uh, it helps with the first business. But that's a very large sales cycle, um, high relationship type business. Whereas mm. uh, the SaaS business, Cortex, even actually, it's very analogous to what we did back then, which is you know lots of people kind of coming inbound, um, trying to get them as much information as possible to make their decision as quickly as possible and yeah. you know, as confidently as possible. And so a lot of the stuff we learned, you know, I learned like 12, 15 years ago is now, you know, coming to super
0: (laughs) relevance and
1: stuff you don't really know at the time is going to end up being really relevant, actually ends up being quite relevant. So it's pretty cool how it all works out.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny. I I love that. Like when you talk about the foundation, like how people started off, because I I always think that's so interesting, right? Like I did, um, I mean, I used to do some like door-to-door sales and I also worked for a real estate company. I was actually a buddy of mine's and we would do, I would do cold calling, you know, which was terrible. I mean, I I was like the worst cold caller because everybody else was doing like 600 calls in a week and they would go, Shane, in your numbers, you did 74 calls. Good job, buddy. And I'm like, and I knew the owner and I was like, (laughs) just not a big fan, but you know, you know, and I'm surprised they even kept me as long as they did, but it was just because I didn't like the cold calling, but I learned so much from that. Like that was the foundation of like psychology and how you talk to people. I mean, you know, I'm calling people din- during dinner time after they got off work, they're trying to spend time with their family. I'm like, Hey, do you want to refinance? And they're like, no, not at all, actually. And I'm like, <laughs> sounds good. So what's your current interest rate? Like, how do you, you know, it's like this, like, no, I just told you, I don't want to do this. Perfect. So you guys had a four or five percent. You know, and they're like, well, what? I, I'm at a five percent, but I really need to go eat with my family. Sounds good. So when was the last time you guys refight? Cause you know, with the current, you know, I'm like going to this big old, thing and next year you're turning people around and I'm high-fiving people you know so it's it was interesting on like just the the on how to work that right and how to like what I learned from there even though I, it was the worst I mean I hated it but I learned so much from that actual time of like that I that I apply today when it comes to sales and marketing so it's kind of cool when you when you that foundation one stuff you don't even think about later on comes back and you're like okay wow that was beneficial
1: yeah i think yeah especially on the sales front of course i can't speak to other jobs like right out of college but I, I certainly can say that, you know, I think every job, every role, almost every role, especially in corporate America, even if you're not, you know, if you don't have the word sales in your title, I think a, a, a sales, especially an entry level sales role is definitely helpful for exactly what you were talking about. You know, just getting used to talking to tons of people, uh, you know, quickly assessing their personality type and whether they like, you know, direct information or they want to chat about stuff and, Just kind of understanding how to communicate with various people well. Uh, I think that that is, you know, only a benefit regardless of where you are, even if you're in IT or something. I think communication skills are huge. Um, and uh, you know, at the time I had the same feeling as you. I was like, well, this really sucks. I don't want to do this very long. (laughs) In fact, actually the the impetus to start my, my agency, my first company was the guy in the cubicle next to me. I was 23. He was 43, he was divorced oh. and had alimony and everything. And Motivation. he had my exact job. Oh. Exactly. And I said, you know what? 20 years from now, I could be this guy if I don't, you I, know, get, get it going. And, and you know, he did well, you know, not, not to knock it, but I just knew that I did not like that. Uh, and I was like, you know, I can't do this for 20 more years or, or even two more years. <laughs> so, so I got to figure this out. So. You know, Don't, be actually, like Don't be like
0: Bob. Don't be like Bob. Yeah, his I mean, name, you're looking at him. you like, his
1: name was actually Bob.
0: <laughs> no, shut the front door. <laughs> you, you nailed it. Well done, man. <laughs> look at that. What are the odds? I'm thinking I'm gonna go play <laughs> the lottery today. Maybe I'll go to Vegas tonight or something. What are the? I was thinking Bob. I literally thought Bob. I was like, oh, do you want to be like Bob? You're like, his name's Bob. I'm like, okay. Just so you guys know out there yeah. in the podcast world, we didn't have that plan. That was not something that was planned. That's I perfect. just said Bob. That's what happens. Speaking of cortex. I can
1: confirm. I don't think anybody, uh, even like my, my co-founders and people, I don't think anyone know that guy's name. So there's no way to source that. That was just pure clairvoyance right there.
0: I should, (laughs) I should go on the road. Maybe I have a talent. That could be my hidden talent that I just like kind of tap into people's (laughs) cortex. I mean, I really think the brain, right? There's something there. Interesting. I'll look, maybe this is, maybe this is a reason why my wife can't leave me is because I'm always know what she's thinking before she does it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm going to have to look into this a little further, but it, you know, other than the fact that I'm obviously extremely smart <laughs> because I'm obviously able to tap into people's brains. Tell me a little bit about Cortex, man. <laughs> like, how did you, how did you start that company? And like, what was the premise of that? Other than you were looking at Bob and thinking, Oh, I just don't want to die in this seat next to Bob. Like, what were you, like, you know, what, what was your deal? Like, when you're like, at what point you're like, okay, hey, like, did you just start Cortex after that? Or was there an agency you started? Or like, kind of what was the, what was yeah, the, the journey? it
1: was a step between it. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So the Bob, the, the Bob story was the impetus to start something. <laughs> um, but the first opportunity was actually a digital marketing agency. In fact, uh, it's called Pandemic Labs. It still exists. It's actually crushing it right now. Um, my co-founder nice. is actually one of my best friends from middle school back at Weston uh, yeah. middle school and high school back in Weston, so, you know, kind of reconnected with him and, uh, he had some experiences that kind of echoed mine where we said, uh, Hey, you know, we were both the class of Oh five in college, which if you figure, you know, do the math, we were the last or the first class that was on Facebook, um, Uh, you know, in college. So we were, you know, he was at a different school than me, but we both were in that initial, you know, like 20 schools that, you know, could be on Facebook before the general public. So we had this experience, uh, using social as like users. And then, you know, as 23, 24 year olds, you say, Hey, you know, businesses are going to want to use this. And, you know, you see people kind of taking stabs at YouTube or, or early Facebook before there were brand pages or right when Twitter launched and trying to figure that out and saying, you know, they need a young person who actually uses this stuff to translate for them. And so that's actually where the agency came from. And the Pandemic Labs was specifically to help people um, use social. Uh, in fact, as far as we can tell, we're the first social media marketing agency in the U.S. Um, and so we were kind of a little too early. You know, we started in early 2007 and, you know, the market didn't really pick up till 2009, let's say. But, you know, we were doing that. Um, and that when the market did turn around, we'd already had some deals with, you know, Puma and Dunkin' Donuts and stuff. And so we're kind of like the only game in town. And that led to, you know, big booming business for creating content uh, for ads and social and all that stuff. And that's where Cortex came from. So, you know, if you can imagine we're working with the the big fortune 500 brands kind of globally, and we're seeing the same exact problem at every company at yeah, every yeah. level, which is that, which is that whether we're talking television ads or online video or social or any of that stuff, as long as there are visuals involved, there's an entire uh guesswork, you know, this entire thing is is predicated on somebody guessing a piece of content, you know, doing their best effort to, to create something cool that they hope the audience will like. And then some CMO somewhere, you know, kind of rubber stamping and saying, you know, I don't know what's going to work, but I got to try something. You know, and so, you know, for me, from my perspective as the agency, it's kind of, you know, we're on the hook for the success of all this. It was really hard to repeatably be successful. Um, although Panamic was and still is quite successful at that, it, it, the the kind of impetus came out of trying to solve that underlying problem, right? So There's a lot of ad tech out there that does a lot of specific ends of the funnel things, but our the thing we were trying to deal with was, you know, how do you predict the performance of these visuals, whether it's an image, whether it's a video? Because uh, if you could do that, then you can invest with confidence across all of these different channels. And you know exactly, you know, should I put half my budget here or should I create, you know, if I'm gonna go do a photo shoot for this brand, you know, what should be in the photo shoot? and How should we make this, this, this photos, this series of photos look different to, to hit the audience we want right those were the questions we were consistently asking and when we failed you know that's effectively how we failed over and over and over again so when we went to you know when when that's happened to you the 50th time you kind of go wait a second <laughs> yeah. this is the same damn problem can we solve yeah. this and luckily for us you know boston is in next you know we're basically next door to mit there's a lot of smart kind of technologists around here so you can very quickly say you know hey does anyone know how to solve this problem you know what? what technology should we be using? That kind of thing is my business partner and I, neither of us were the tech ones. You know, we were the, both business guys. Um, and so we connected with some guys in Boston very quickly that happened to be machine learning guys that, you know, said, Oh yeah, this is a perfect machine learning problem. We can do this. Uh, and then we were off to the races. And as you said earlier, that's basically like four, four and a half years ago.
0: So it's crazy. So it's funny. So you like, a lot of the stuff that you do is like early, like, I mean, not, I'm not gonna say too early, but like, <laughs> right, like, which is crazy. I mean, if you think, because there there are things, I'm gonna give you an example. Like, I think it was, I can't remember the name of the company, but it, like Safeway, it was pretty much Safeway. And they were, they wanted to deliver groceries. And they were like the biggest startup that failed because they got whatever it was, $1 billion, whatever the number was. And they wanted to deliver groceries. And it was just too early for the concept. And now Safeway, and there's other companies that are doing that. Now we have the shared economy and there's all kinds of other stuff. And I'm not saying you guys aren't gonna make it because you guys are doing phenomenally well. But it's just interesting because you're like I think we were the first social media agency here, you know, whatever you said, 1942, not really, it was like 2007, <laughs> but like a long time ago, right? And the same thing with Cortex, like we look at this and we go, oh, okay, like what you're talking about is saying, hey, like, can we, let's predict what piece of content is going to be, what produce the right types of outcomes, right? Which is kind of, it's kind of is something, you know, that's the hardest part of marketing, right? They always say like, I know 50% of my marketing is working, I just don't know which 50%.
1: So I was going to say the, the, that is the quote that everyone quotes and you're exactly right. The conclusion everyone draws from that, I think has traditionally been the wrong conclusion. And that's basically why we created Cortex because the conclusion was, well, we got to track things better, right? Which is, which is certainly true. And and we do have to track things better. And we're still kind of like embarrassingly bad. I think as a, as a industry at tracking lots of parts of marketing, at least. Uh, some of it, of course, is quite good nowadays, but, but the, the, the other thing you could draw right there is you could say, well, if, if marketing itself is this big question mark in terms of, you know, investment, cause right, that, that question is effectively what a CMO is asking themselves every day. It's yeah. Like, I've got this, you know, I've got a hundred million dollars to spend next year, uh, and I really don't have a lot of confidence in where to put it. And, yeah. the, you, you know, the question we could have asked ourselves after that is, well, why is that? Which the answer is, well, because all of it currently has this big question mark opinion, you know, bullshit in the middle that is creating the content. Right. And so if we if we would looked at that, you know, if other people had looked at that a little bit differently, they certainly would have come to the same conclusion we did, which is that, you know, there's this big question mark in every single process when it comes to marketing and advertising. If we solve for the question mark. Right. All of a sudden, we'll know we'll have a much much higher level of confidence in what we're doing across any of the channels if we can figure out what the content's going to do in advance. And so, you know, that was that was us kind of just taking a look, you know, taking a step back and saying, you know, this appears to be the problem. All these different companies and all these different industries, and you know, it can't be, you know, just us. So, yeah, uh, that was the risk we took. And yeah, you're exactly right. We're like, I'm, I guess two for two at least. I'm too early. If I ever do this again, I will wait a few years.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the early yeah. part's
1: tough. The early part is tough. But uh so far, you know, both both of them have done fairly well. Because, so um
0: Because yeah. you're t- I'll optimize is there- later. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you're, you're like, you're blazing the trail, which is awesome, but it also sucks. Cause we've also done that. I mean, I've had companies in the past that I've owned where I'm like, this is awesome. Nobody else is doing this. And I'm like, God, this really sucks. Nobody else is doing this. Right. Because you've got to educate everybody. You've got to tell the world. Right. So it's like, it's awesome. And then like, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, you, you said you were at a, an event. I think you were speaking at an event and everybody was looking at you like, my God, this is awesome that he's speaking in Chinese. I just don't know what he's saying. Right. Like really, which when you were explaining what it was, because people are like so crazy, but when you think about it, it's not crazy. It's the, I guess it is crazy in the sense that we're like, we, you know, you're saying, Hey, I can tell you guys which content is going to bring you the better outcome. Right. Which is like the Mecca, right. That's like, it doesn't get any better than that. Like that's what, who doesn't want to know that. I mean, I want to know, I'm going to produce 10 pieces of content, which ones are going to have the higher likelihood for being successful because then I don't, hopefully I have to do the other two or three or four. And there are, at least I know what kind of content is going to resonate the best. And the reason why that's based off of data. Right. And that's for the creative side, the visual side of things, whether it be pictures or video, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's almost crazy. Like, right. It almost sounds a little crazy.
1: Yeah. And especially because I think a lot of people are high level thinkers, which I think is actually good. Um, and I think they think, Humans are creative and I haven't seen a computer or software be creative. Therefore, it's up to us to be creative. Therefore, there's no way to track it, right? They're kind of thinking in high level abstract, which is useful. And I think in general is a good way to think. In this case, though, the way AI is taking over things, not, not marketing, not only marketing, but, but everything is that, you know, people hear the word AI, or the phrase AI, and they think like, you know, C3PO or somebody like that or data from Star Trek. They think yeah. something that's very human-like and has like a broad range of capabilities, you know, like a data from Star Trek can move around. He can see, he can talk, he can hear, he can also process lots of data. But actually, AI in, in, in the real world, the way it's taking over our, our lives today, is via these super narrow capabilities. So it's absolutely reasonable to say humans are the only things capable of doing creativity Today, that's super reasonable. Mm-hmm. But even two years from now, it's absolutely reasonable to say, you know, the, the totality that I think of as creativity is only doable by humans. But between now and then, uh, little pieces of what you previously might have called creativity, now you're just going to say, oh, software does that. And in our case, yeah. it's looking at millions of images, processing it all with machine vision, knowing exactly what colors are being used, what, what objects are in the image whether they're humans in the image, what age they are, what gender they are, where they're located, all that stuff, and using a different type of machine learning to find the patterns, right? That's something that, you know, you could, you could, humans could kind of do unofficially now. You could kind of get a sense for the patterns. You could hire a team and try to manually do that. But, you know, software is just really, really much, much, much better than humans at that one tiny piece of creativity, right? And so you lose, you know, let's say five years from now, everyone's doing it our way, just that little piece of it. You won't really think of that as creativity anymore. You kind of, you say, okay, software does that better, but we do this, right? And so over time, you're just kind of like, you know, software is getting better at a narrow, uh, piece and biting that off and then another narrow piece and biting that off. And then eventually what we once thought of as creativity, you know, half of that is going to be, do, be done uh, by software and the other half is still going to be in the human hands and the humans will be much, much better because the things that, you know, the inputs into what they do. You know, when you go to make an ad campaign, if you go into that creative process, knowing the colors you should be using, what the audience likes to see, you know, what exactly what kind of humans should be in it to make the audience happy, where the ad campaign should take place, uh, all those kinds of things, right? That just makes your creative process much more successful. And so it's cool because you're exactly right. Kind of people, when they think at a high level, they're like, well, this is human, Stuff. How does human stuff get automated? You know, from a big perspective, you know, they're right. I don't think creativity will ever go away and I don't think creative jobs really will ever go away. But these individual things that make up what we currently consider to be creativity, those will be done and are currently being done, as you can see with us, by a by a software and AI. And so it's pretty cool. Uh, and I think it sneaks up on you uh, in terms of kind of where the automation is going to happen and how it's going to affect, you know, the day to day.
0: So, so just to break this down, so is the goal of cortex to get rid of all the humans? Just No. Kidding. Uh, no, no, no I'm just kidding you. No, no, I'm totally kidding you. <laughs> totally kidding you. No, I think what you said is awesome because it, it you're like, wait a second, what just happened? Um, no, I think what's <laughs> awesome about what you said, all joking aside, is that I, I love it because it's like, okay, let's say there's 20 things that happen in this process, and AI or machine learning can take care of one or two more things, right? And maybe three things and maybe four things. But there will be things that just, that I would say, maybe not in our lifetime, and maybe that's not true, that will be able to take over 18 of those 20 things, right? But for now, it's like the way that humans work in the process, but there's, it's no different, let's give you an example, like let's say SEO, right? So in the beginning, you'd look up keywords, and you kind of do this, you kind of do that, and then you have some software that now you can look it up a little better. Now, it's not AI or machine learning, but the idea of it is, is that, there still takes some eyeballs, right? You can look at these reports, you can do all this stuff, but that just makes it easier to be able to put this stuff together. And it's the same thing with this. It's like, exactly. we're going to take care of these little things that, that you might not look at as a headache, but these are things that we're going to make it easier for you to be able to put together the pieces of the puzzle for you to make that decision as a human, let's say. Right. So I think that's really the way that exactly you explained right. it, I think is it, it's um, palatable, right? Because if not, you go, Hey, we have these uh, machines and they're going to look at a few colors and they're going to tell you which one works. And people go, whoa, that sounds freaky. Like, what what about like, I mean, am I involved? Am I not involved? Like, like at what point, you know, like I'm just, I just see Will Smith coming down and then like, just take all the humans and put them in back. And you're like, oh God, but wait, I have some ideas. Like no ideas from the humans, you know, (laughs) just give it to the machines, you know? So I think people freak out about that. But really at the end of the day, the way you explained it is like, to me, that makes sense. Like that makes sense of like, it's just going to make things easier, right? We're here to take a look at things that Maybe you might process with your brain. You look at it and you go, "I think that I think they like this, things like this." But we, as humans, can't. I can't take in ten thousand pieces of data, process it, and then say, "Hey, this is what we're getting right." And that's where I like, think deficiencies happen. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so I'll give you a real world example. One of our customers, is a big um, consumer products company, hair care, skin care, things like that, and um, and they did an initial analysis with Cortex. One of the kind of gateway drugs we sell is a visual vocabulary report that's the name of the Mm. product and it's made for people who are not ready to jump in with both feet who are probably a little hesitant like you described they don't necessarily want to invite an ai to the party yet they're not sure what that means this is a pdf they can take it they can leave it they can share it it's really easy it's not threatening but what it does do is it shares hundreds of different trends and creative choices that they can test and it predicts how the creative choices will impact uh, the performance and so one of the, one of the trends, or two of the trends that they saw was, were color trends. One of which was about, uh, pink, and it showed that this kind of specific type of pink, and it actually gives you the exact hex code, right? Because we're not dealing with humans, we're dealing with a, a software's ability to be super duper accurate. Um, it gives you the exact hex code of a kind of light shade of pink. It said this pink, uh, is 19% Performance uh, better will, will add 19% to your performance, and then later in the present in, in the kind of findings, it had a slightly darker shade of pink, and that hex code for that, and it said that this pink will detract. Uh, I forgot the number, like 18 or 17, a similar number, but but in the negative side from performance. And they said, wait a second. So just by changing our images from this darker shade of pink to this lighter shade of pink, we captured the delta, so like 35 plus percent in performance and you know that's effectively what cortex is telling them that by making this slight color choice to their ads and their their content they're going to make a huge impact and performance down the line and the cool part was they shared with us that they'd tried to do a color analysis before and because humans can't really see at the pixel level and can't really see necessarily reliably between you know the light pink and the dark pink and they wouldn't know exactly where to draw the line anyway when they were doing this campaign you know they they did effectively when they did their own analysis, they did like the twelve colors that you get in the crayon box. You know, they did one mm-hmm. pink, they did one red, they did one blue. Yes. Et cetera. And so their analysis about pink was that it was roughly a neutral color. Right. And so they said, oh pink's, you know, bat about zero. It doesn't really have an impact on performance. Let's move on and look at other colors, right? But it turns out there's actually two stories in the pink. And there's no way that they could have known that in advance uh without a software. Right. And again, when you get back to the human question, like, do the humans are the humans on that team less valuable to the company now or are they more valuable to the company now right now that they know uh they can make those changes across all their designers across their photographers across their campaigns and all of a sudden you know the company performs better simply because the ai kind of cost them one and that's just example kind of one change of course it's looking at thousands of these things and communicating them all very quickly and easily and and, and yeah back to that story you're kind of getting at that's the crux right is that in every case where automation you know screw a i right in every case where automation has appeared, the worker has become more valuable to the company, not less right when we went from mm. manually assembling Ford model T's on an assembly line, you know one person doing each screw to while wow, there's like you know five employees for the whole car assembly because a lot of it's automated those Humans are responsible for much more value delivered than yeah. you know, the thousand humans it took before. And it's the same story here, even though the, the word we're talking about is AI. It's the same exact story that, you know, when your marketer gets more reliable, when they're providing more value as a CEO or a CMO, that division gets more of your budget, not less. So, you know, we're not we're not really seeing anybody automating away jobs with it.
0: No, that makes sense. I think the biggest thing, I mean, what is, what is the, I'm going to switch this up a little bit. What is the biggest hurdle that you're seeing? Of, I mean, cause it really comes down to, I think like, how do you get a big company to commit to something like that? Because I think in, in, when you say it, it makes sense, but it's like, and I know that you guys have been doing this for about five years, right? I mean, you guys are like way ahead on this whole thing, but it's just, it's interesting to me because I would think if I was a company, I go, okay, that makes sense but then what do like, I get? And I think you already kind of touched on a little bit. Like you have these kind of these steps to kind of reel them in, let's say, right. And they educate them. like, you can look at this and then she goes, okay, that's kind of cool. That wasn't real expensive. Oh, now I tried this. Okay. And then you get them to a point where you're like, man, this is like, this is changing the game. Like I just, I could imagine that the, I mean, for the last five years of trying to convince people to do this, because it's even today, it's still kind of a I think it's phenomenal, but it's still a little bit like, Ooh, you know, let me, I know you have a lot of good case studies and stuff, but it's still a little, I'd be a little bit worried, but I would think once they drink the juice and realize, Hey, this is awesome. Like it's like uh, you'd have people signing up all day long.
1: Well, yeah, actually that's uh, that's been the case. So the first yeah. three years, let's say were definitely hard and we're certainly learning and kind of missionary selling, as you say, kind of saying, Hey, this exists, try us out. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, that's changed dramatically in the past year. Now, most major brands out there are looking for something like this and are coming to our door. You know, 95% of our revenue, probably more of it now, is, is inbound, right? We're not, we're not, we don't have to, to, To you know, I don't have that uh, cold calling job like I used to anymore. Uh, it's all coming to us, which is, which is great. But yeah, to answer your, your first question, yeah, there's basically three steps of maturity that we see. And we've built a product for each step, right? So if you come uh, to us and you're perfect. like, I've heard of this, but I don't really know what's going on. We have that thing I mentioned, the visual vocabulary, which is effectively a taste, right? And it's not scary. You're not committing to anything. It's a one-off. You can take it and run with it. You can never call us back. You know, it's, it's, it's there so for you to look cool internally and to, to shop around uh, the decision makers and to, to kind of make you look awesome. And uh, and then usually that leads to the second step, which is now that you have all this data that you then tested and kind of waved around internally that told you all these new trends. Now you probably want to commit to that data as part of your process. That's stage two, we got a product for that, that effectively just a lot more data in a more readily available fashion. Uh, And then stage three is, you know, let's say you're a company that has tasted the data, you've seen the impact that it has, you've built your process around it, now you want to optimize the use, you want to guarantee that kind of the data is everywhere that it needs to be, that we're taking maximum value from this data we have a platform that is a you know, fully operational SaaS platform that not only tells you the data but also automates a lot of decisions for you, right? Because if you, if you think about this, where this is going, if Cortex knows the colors that your audience likes and it knows what should be in the images and it knows all these creative choices and it knows them by platform and by time of day and all these things because it's using clustering to compare all of those inputs to find mm-hmm. patterns, right? So it'll know, let's say next Friday, that your audience is most likely to engage with a piece of content that is a, a picture of a, you know, your alcoholic product on the beach uh, with these certain colors in it. It also can then plug directly into your digital asset manager, and find that image for you and get it ready, right? It doesn't have to just tell you, it can actually just go do it. And so our platform kind of at the top tier, it already does that, right? It plugs into digital asset managers. We've got a partnership with Getty Images. It plugs into stock. So it basically tries to fulfill your content calendar automatically way in advance, and do all the planning and strategy for you, kind of built on all that data. And so it's basically, you know, you're exactly right. There's people at every stage of sophistication, uh, but we've solved that by kind of, giving them the right medicine at each stage.
0: Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's like, I I said, drinking the coolie, but that's what it is, right? You got to kind of like ease them into it because I'll be honest, like what you're saying is like, is awesome. Right. But I can imagine that, like that first step of like, okay, so you guys are going to like feed me this and this, and it's like, and that's going to work because the thing is, this is, this is what's awesome about it. It's like what we've done in the past doesn't work. I just staring at something and saying, well, let me, I read this article and I heard that green, is really good for SaaS companies, (laughs) right? You're like, where'd you get that from? Well, I read an article on shanebarker.com, and Shane said that green is really good for SaaS companies. And Shane actually is also a speaker at events. I think Shane is a color specialist, or maybe he's not. We're not sure, but (laughs) let's use green, right? Like, There's really nothing behind that, right? I mean, other than, you know, I mean, if you read my blog, please, everything I write on there is 100% true, and I, I am, you know, just, no, just kidding, not, probably 100 well it is true but anyways you get my point of like it's like what what is the the data behind that right like how do we like other than what we feel or we kind of think like you guys are taking the guessing game out of that like you know and and providing that which is like i I don't know man like i can't believe you guys did this five years ago and you guys are still around because i can imagine those three years (laughs) was just grueling because i mean even now it's still a little like wow that's pretty crazy like three years ago people are like you know I, I don't know. Like, it's just something else. I what mean, is
1: this shit? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like, <laughs> yep, man, much. like, okay, very I much. get
0: it. But man, this is a little freaky. Like, you really tell me you can do this. And how is it having people like that on your team? Like, cause you said you're not a, I mean, you're not in, you don't do machine learning. So you have somebody on your team that does like, I can only imagine your meetings. Like when the people are like, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be able to predict like how much revenue we're going to have in 30 days because of this, 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 and this. And all you have to do is look into this and you taste this and lick this. And then all of a sudden, well, the numbers, and you're like, God machine learning is amazing like it's just it's just nuts man like i I know enough about machine learning not that I could implement it or you know go do software or anything but like i've I've actually you know studied up on it on on you know like just the the background of it and it's just absolutely like floors me it's just like crazy to me
1: yeah, it's really exciting because you know frequently it's it's us directed it's stuff that we knew from the last company and that we've been hearing from the customers that you know we want to be able to do and we go to the tech guys and we're like this is the mission let's do that but you know increasingly now we've kind of checked all the basic boxes of what we yeah. thought we needed to build and now it's them saying hey did you know we can predict this and we're going what <laughs> yeah you know, that's incredibly valuable can we put that in the product tomorrow like that's incredible. So it is a pretty exciting process. You're exactly right. And, you know, part of it is like, they, you know, they have PhDs and they've gone deep on this and we haven't. But so part of it is like this stuff is evolving relatively quickly across all fronts. So like, you know, for example, if Google put out tomorrow some crazy image processing capabilities that we don't have now, um, like, you know, you could look at an image and look at the angle of the sun and figure out the exact time it was taken. I'm making this up, but let's say they could do that. You yeah. so know, like we could just, Immediately deploy that to make our data set more accurate and better, right? And so that's effectively what's happening every day. Somebody rolls out this new thing that we can just bolt on to the processing part at the beginning of our process when we gather the data and and process it, and that just makes us better at predicting because you know the data set's more enriched. And so it is a really cool time because you know as we as we go. These guys, of course, are kind of nerding out on it just for fun all the time and professionally, but also for fun. And they'll be like, Hey, this thing just came out. Let's test it and see what it does. And it turns out now we can predict this other thing that unlocks, you know, X more percent performance for our customers. And so now it's in the phase where it's really cool like that, like kind of exactly like you're describing.
0: I mean, I would think it's like, like I, I know like Apple, I mean, I don't know this, but I kind of know this, like, you know, Apple comes up obviously with things that's the future, right? Of the Apple, you know, 27 is going to have this, 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 and this, right? I mean, not 27, like 15. So we have these things because you can't go <laughs> too far ahead where the, the the tech doesn't keep up with that, right? So whatever that is, and I would have to imagine like you have these meetings and your guys are like, hey, we can implement, let's just do this. And you're like, dude, that's not till 2022. Like, would they still have to grasp onto what we're doing now? Right? Like, I really feel like there's probably some, these guys are geeking out and having the time of their lives of figuring out some really cool stuff that you're like, I can't even write something about that right now, because I think it would blow people away. I think people wouldn't fully get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, man. It's like, it's really exciting. I can only imagine your meetings. I wish I was a fly on the wall on some of the stuff you guys were talking about, because I'm sure I would just leave there. My nose would be bleeding with just my brains coming out and going, Oh my God, that was absolutely amazing. Just cool stuff, man. You guys got some cool stuff going on.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, next time you're in Boston, come on by. We'll uh, we'll host one specifically for you.
0: It it might be sooner than later. Be careful. I'm I'm a big fan of Boston. I was long story short. Actually, I was supposed to. I was either going to move to Boston or Chico. Like after I saw Goodwill Hunting, which is I talked about this on another podcast. But love that movie, Goodwill Hunting. I don't know why. I was like, I'm going to go to Boston. My mom's like over Chico, that's an hour and a half away. I was like, yeah, I'm going to move to Boston. She's like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> Anyways, that's a whole nother conversation. So tell me about like, I want to talk about a little bit about like, you know, like a content. Are there any companies you look at, like they're creating like epic content or maybe even a client that you guys are, I mean, maybe tie into that. Cause I don't want to say like, just look at something and say they're creating epic content. Or is there any like evaluations you guys have done and said, this company is like, they seem to like know what's going on when it comes to certain types of content. Or do you have a client or somebody I just want to kind of tap into like somebody that maybe Somebody could look up and go, wow, this is, you know, kind of get a better idea, I guess.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So to take one step back first, you know, if you think about what we're talking about, you know, we've kind of talked about it from the brand slash marketer perspective, mm-hmm. but if you put the other hat on, we're talking about making content that the consumer wants.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: Right. And, and we're talking about knowing, this is a technology that allows you to know what the consumer likes. Um, and so it allows you, of course, then to create content the consumer wants. And if you choose to do that, then of course you're way ahead of the game. Uh, yes, there are several examples, uh, kind of on a spectrum. By far and away, the most committed to that vision is Red Bull. Uh, as Mm. I'm sure we're familiar, you know, they, they're a, they're a drink company, but they have an entire division that is self-sufficient financially that is literally just running cool events that
0: their Promotions, audience yeah.
1: would like to look at. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. They they put put a guy into space so he could jump out of space and parachute down. They do all those weird, you know, like boats jumping off of platforms into water things like all those events. But they they they've completely committed to the idea that giving the consumer something that the consumer values is mm. the point. Right? And then they they kind of Literally, their, their their company is divided into the drink part and the and the content part. So they've completely committed to this, and uh, and as you can see that they they're never going to run out of stuff to talk about. They're never going to not be you know constantly in in the me- in the media. And of course, their drinks do quite well. And so I think they're probably the best example simply because they've effectively created a media company to service that vision. Um, and they did it back when it was you know still guesswork. Right. Nowadays they probably are are more sophisticated. I don't know if they're using AI like, like we are and if they if they aren't they should call us. But I mean yeah. but ultimately like they've they committed to it with both feet um and you of know, it shows.
0: You know another thing is about Red Bull and I don't know if you I remember I read a book on this and they talked about Red Bull. I thought this was interesting because I think this was maybe ten years ago. Whenever they started up, I remember going to like festivals and events and music festivals and they were handing them out like hotcakes. Like couldn't get them out of there. I mean four dollars a piece and they're handing out thousands of these I remember thinking, God, that's kind of an interesting concept. Like you just not even, you know, I remember these pretty girls just handing them out like this. I mean like hundreds of them at a time. And so I'm like, I remember thinking, God, what's the point of that? You know what I'm, and I just kind of whatever. And so I started reading this book and they talked about the, what they did. What Red Bull would do is the psychology of Red Bull, obviously, is you're getting some kind of a, you know, endorphin rush, right? You get something where you're drinking it and you're, you're kind of this heightened sense. Well, you're also at a concert or a music festival. You're seeing your favorite artists, right? So you're having the best time of your life. You're drinking Red Bull. So you're tying in that experience with your Red Bull. So it's amazing. So they would hand these things out. So you have whatever, 10,000 people that are drinking Red Bull, whatever the number is, 1,000 watching their favorite artist, having the time of their life there with their girlfriend and they're thinking about Red Bull. So every time they will go to a market or someplace, they see a Red Bull, they think about the experience. So directly tied back in. So they were at these events and they couldn't hand out enough of them because once again you tie in a, a your brain goes man I had a phenomenal experience there and it's tied into that red bull and when I read that I was like god that's brilliant because at first I was like I just don't understand how you're getting any value from this cuz you're just handing them out like you don't really know if they're going to drink them again but they were playing on the game of like hey your your brain's going to tie into that which I thought was brilliant so I just that was one of the things red bull's phenomenal yeah, they are they're mainly a media company like they're literally a media company that sells drinks like that's what it is yeah right? i mean exactly
1: i mean it- And that's the funny thing is, whether the brands have realized it or not, almost every consumer brand has to think that way now. There's so much content. You know, the average brand is creating 15,000 pieces of content per year, uh, just to be competitive, you know, on social and all these different things, uh, all in. And, and if you rewind 25 years, right, back in the, let's say the 80s, right, before the internet entirely, Right. they were creating what a few dozen commercials a year a few dozen yeah. ad spots and magazines a few dozen print uh, we're talking maybe on the order of a few hundred pieces of content which over the past 30 40 years is now fifteen thousand pieces of content so they they are media companies whether they think of it or not right and so
0: yeah. getting
1: smart about that like red bull red bull just got in front of it and leading the way and you know companies even like tesla right they don't they're not set up like red bull is they haven't Jumped in in that regard, but they know, as you can tell, like they know that the best thing they can do, the thing their audience wants, is tidbits of videos or content about these cool new futuristic products. And so, even though they're very product focused and they haven't done what Red Bull did and build a giant division, they spend almost nothing on marketing Tesla. But they they're they're actually philosophically very similar, and that like they lead with their story and they lead with, you know, we're building the future and here's a a glimpse at all this cool futuristic stuff. And, uh, and I think, you know, even though they're very, in terms of their spend, they're kind of the exact opposite of Red Bull, I'd still put them in that category of a company who like totally gets it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think the, any kind of a launch they do is always people just lose their minds, right? And the amount of orders they put in, like just recently, the one they did with the cyber truck and, that and was like, good. oh, when he you know broke the window yeah. and this time I'm like, yeah, but at the end of the day they got millions and billions of dollars in sales. Like it doesn't, you know, it's like the, the things that he brings out and the price point and the, the amount of thought they put into it. It's one of those like I look at these and I go, why hasn't anybody else come up with this? Like it's so weird to me. But he just he saw that there was a, a need there, right? When it comes to the electronic cars or now the cyber ones, and they're just, you know, I mean, flamethrowers, all this, you know, the other companies, these guys, <laughs> just interesting stuff, man, because it's just, like, content that people love, man. And they, like, crave it, like we talked about. You know, it's like that craving of, like, God, I can't wait for Tesla to come out this next thing or whatever that is. The same thing with Red Bull, like what's their next video going to be like? What are they going to do? They're going to jump out of what you said, jump out of the the moon or whatever it is and, you know, come down and live stream the whole damn thing. So it is interesting, like that kind of content. And once you know what kind of content your audience likes to produce more content like that, right. And kind of have that strategy in place.
1: Yeah, we haven't done any analysis of Tesla cars or anything, but I would absolutely predict that that recent Cybertruck does exceedingly well simply because it it took a stance from a design point. Oh, in the yeah. car world, uh, as we've seen, almost every car kind of tries to hide in the in the middle and look just like all the other cars. In fact during their presentation, if you saw they took the logo off of all the major selling pickup trucks, you really can't tell them apart. They all look basically identical, functionally the same. And yeah. the fact that you know they took uh, uh they took a you know they took a, a stance here aesthetically Right? They're certainly not going to appeal to the masses, but they don't need to appeal to the masses, right? To be one yeah. of the biggest selling trucks of the year, they sell a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand of those and they're, they're yeah. off to the races, right? And so they did kind of like a, a, you know, and I don't know what kind of research they did, if they did AI, if this is entirely Elon Musk guessing uh, and probably guessing well, but you know, they're making a choice and they're saying, this is what we think our audience wants. Let's go aggressively in that direction, which, you know,
0: most companies in- don't really have the the ball and they're, to do, so to speak. They're pre-selling the vehicles. I mean, think about that. Like you lit, it's like, it's like a, you know, it's like crowdfunding. Like, let me go ahead and put this out here as a concept let me go ahead and get, you know, 10,000 orders ahead of time. And now I've got funding. Like it's, it's this crazy thing. Like yep. you don't ever see Ford go, Hey, we're coming out with the Ford Explorer. We're going to do a launch. And everybody goes, Oh my God, the Ford Explorer. I'm going to buy one. <laughs> Nobody says that, <laughs> exactly, right? Like right. this is like, we're like, Hey, you can go buy them off Tesla right now. And people are like losing their minds and like, I bought one. It's only $40,000 and this is awesome. I'm going to get it in six months. And you're like, this is crazy. Like you just, it's just nuts, man. I, I love it. Like, the, the, I mean, we, I could talk about Tesla for like 10 days, but, that's the thing is I think they build up and Apple's the same way. I think Apple has that kind of like you know, when they get together and get excited about things and get people kind of pumped up and um but I, I know and I I know I asked you about a few companies. I want to talk to you about a few more things. We're getting to the end of this podcast, but I know I wanted to talk to you about like Madcon twenty twenty. Like you had you actually did you, you spoke, was it wasn't MadCon, I think that you spoke at this year.
1: I don't believe we've spoken there yet, but we're spoken, speaking there next year.
0: Ah, that's gotcha. So you got that. You're speaking there next year. So I know that you're a, a keynote speaker. What is your, your presentations that you do? Is it mainly about Cortex? I mean, it's gotta be about educating the public about this. I mean, that's gotta be a, a, a the main part of your speeches.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's, it's almost like cheating from a keynote speaker standpoint, <laughs> because we don't really have to talk about ourselves at all. We can yeah. go into every single presentation having just processed a bunch of data, either about companies we know will be in the audience or industries that, you know, if it's an industry conference or whatever. The one I was at Thursday was in Belgium uh, uh, and it had, uh, I went in there and we processed the entire beer industry because Belgians, of course, are very passionate about their beer and they do beer mm-hmm. quite well. So we went in there and shared a bunch of, tra- you know, I uh, kind of gave them the heads up about what AI is AI is doing in marketing, you know, the high levels and, and said, you know, screw me talking about this. Let's get, down to it and i'll show you some stuff and we just go through a bunch of trends you know a bunch of you work in the beer industry you should apply these colors you do these make these changes blah 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 blah. and then we went into uh a a small little sub industry of furniture stores uh just in in belgium and denmark and uh, the netherlands uh because there were a bunch of those people in the audience and then we looked at one company which was deloitte and we just looked at their belgian office and was like this is what your belgian office should change to target their marketing more and we kind of went through that as a presentation and it's super visual Jesus. it gives them immediate takeaways and of course we can do it you know at the push of a button so super easy just you know the day before two days before to kind of get the the, the companies from the from the uh the guy running the event and say you know who's gonna be in the audience who should be tailored to process oh. all of that and share it and so i love it yeah it's That's... really easy yeah. That is
0: cheating. That is absolutely, I'm so mad at you right now. That absolutely is cheating. That is so not fair to the other people. I'm a keynote speaker and that uh, just, that kind of pissed me off. But super excited about that. I mean, that's insane. Like the fact that you tie that in your presentation and people are reading that and they're like, I'm at, Del- wait a second, he just talked about, my- What? he just gave some suggestions, right? We should probably write this down. Right? And then I can only imagine that people afterwards <laughs> yep. are like, hey, thanks for the tidbit. Like, what, what's the next steps? Well, God, that's awesome, man. Now I'm now I'm invious. Now we're going to have to talk more about that because I'm doing a lot of keynote stuff in 2020, so I'm going to have to – I'm going to get in the minds of the people. I'm going to be able to mesmerize them more and be able to know what colors I need to use. So, All right, so we're getting yeah, to the I, end of this I, thing. I'll, this commit
1: is, here, I'll commit here in recording. If you have an event that you're really excited about and you want some trends, you come back to me with at least a week's notice and we'll get you a bunch of trends and you'll look, you'll look awesome.
0: I'd tell you this is the thing. It's, well, one thing is for me to look awesome. It's going to take a lot, but we're hopefully that will work. So one thing is the presentations, and the other thing is that obviously I'm going to let my wife know that we're going to start coming to your family reunions. I mean, this is—I feel like this was good, man. I, I mean, at this point, I feel like we're like really close. Like our families are going to be close. Um, I it couldn't be any better, except we are, which which this is the hard part. This is the the part that becomes very stressful because this is the part where we're going to have to break up because we're, we're sneaking up on that hour mark. But I have a I have a few more small questions for you. I know this. This is the yeah. hard part. This is, but I'll see the it. family reunion. It's not a big deal. Like we're we're going to be together forever at this point. You for so, Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why, I mean, I'll see you guys in a few days. This is awesome. I'll, I'll tell my wife to get the tickets. This would be awesome. So, what if you could, you know, because I, I, the way that your brain works, this is going to be an interesting question. So, if there was three people, dead or alive, that you could have dinner with. Who would that be? This, I'm always intrigued by this because you, with your background of like you know music, but yet you biology, but you're now seeing the future through machine learning. An interesting background. So I'm curious. On who what three people, dead or alive, would you have dinner with?
1: Ooh, that's really good. Um, so uh, you know, dead family members aside, because I think you could certainly answer that with all your you know family yeah, members
0: that you've met. For sure. Uh,
1: I think it's more interesting if we keep it to you know people that everyone knows. Um, yeah. Uh, and I certainly, yeah. There's a whole like 20 musicians, of course. Uh, yeah, for I'd sure. With. I'll just throw I'll throw Thelonious Monk out there as the one. Um, amazing jazz pianist but actually he would not be on my list i think for this purpose you know where i'm at with my life and you know kind of my responsibilities to cortex and things i think they'd all be helpful on that front um mm. i think elon musk actually not to sound like a fanboy this entire thing no, but it, but uh i get it i think if you think about it if my goal is to kind of level up my own software i think you spend a dinner with him and you just kind of cuz not to compare ourselves in the slightest, but he attacks every problem uh, at its root. Right? He says, yeah. "What's the problem with this? Let's Aggressive. create um uh, much, much cheaper rockets so that we can become a multiplanetary species. What does it take to do that? I'm going to go do that, and he, and he successfully does that. Right? And and that is, I think, something that everyone can learn from. Of course, I wouldn't want to take too much of his time. You know, he's Saving the world so maybe we do yeah. fast food. Um but, <laughs> but uh the other the other two, uh I would say another one to level up my own software would be Eisenhower. Um, uh, because again, you you never know what to trust in, in historical uh things. But I've read quite a few biology biographies of him and uh he seems to be a very wise Person, yeah. Right. And, for sure. It, to contrast Elon Musk with the kind of raw brain power, seems like Eisenhower always made not maybe not always, but very very frequently made the right call, uh, even in a tough scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I kind of want to know how. You know, like what is this process to kind of weigh the urgency versus the the you know the importance versus whatever, and how to make tough calls. You know, in in some of the toughest scenarios out there. You know, during the Cold War and World War II, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar with his, like, smoking stories. Are you familiar with that?
0: Mm, I, you know, it rings a bell, but I don't I don't know the specific story.
1: Oh, well, yeah. He just used to be a smoker, kind of like everybody in that generation was pretty much a smoker, especially people in the war. And then he came back and he got sick and he had, like, a heart attack or something. And I forgot the impetus. But one day he decided to stop smoking. And rather than everyone else, what everyone else would have done, which is, like, throw everything out and tell their friends, he kept cigarettes in his breast pocket for the rest of his life. And never touch them again. And the only reason he would ever touch them is to lend them to people when they asked for one. And he said the reason he did that is because it felt, he was reminded of the victory every time he didn't grab it himself. And to <laughs> me, it's just like, well, that's just exceedingly badass. I'm not sure, I'm not <laughs> sure I'd trust awesome. myself in that <laughs> um, And so, you know, that kind of thing, just learning from that. Um, uh, and then uh, I guess the third guy would be a really, um, rather than kind of leveling up my software in general, third guy would be really, uh, Specific case, we, Mark Benioff from Salesforce. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, specifically because he created a category, um, that didn't exist before. And he basically, you know, helped create or created cloud and SaaS and CRM, basically. You know, it, it, I, I wouldn't want to give him all the credit for all three of those, of course. But, you know, he, he, he defined a lot of those categories, uh, that weren't categories before. And, yeah. you know, Cortex is, is attempting to do that. You know, you, you heard me. You know, we could have defined ourselves as a marketing software or, you know, we focus on lots of different types of marketing. But realistically, we're we're focused on creativity and visuals. And there yeah. really isn't a category for software that focuses on something that fundamental yet. And so yeah. we're, you know, in addition to your whole point about the five years being pretty tough because people weren't looking for this, I think it's also tough because, you know, there really isn't a category, you know, visual understanding or creativity. Yeah uh, non bullshit making software. <laughs> yeah, 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 So we're trying to, we're trying to create the category and that, that guy, you know, he's created the category for sure.
0: That's awesome. All right. We got my, my last question. Those are all three people that I, I mean, that I would love to meet with myself. Those are all people that are like obviously thought leaders in their space. So if I was to give you a, a winning $10 million lottery ticket, what would you do with it? Where would you spend the cash?
1: Ooh, uh, I, ooh, I'm very boring in this category. Um, I would, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm struggling to think of a more exciting answer to make this not boring but my real answer is I would invest it very conservatively I would have the uh you know I I'd, I'd, I'd include inflation and reinvest that every year so it it never loses its value over time and then whatever comes after you know whatever comes on top of that in the year I would uh you know help my niece and nephew go to college help my family you know I've got like I told you before a really small family so I think this is actually a doable thing, there's only like 11 of us total or something, right? So I yeah. think I could kind of take care of everyone if I played my cards right. So I think that's realistically what I'd do, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of boats and helicopters. So if you want a really cool, exciting answer, you know, maybe pretend I said that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll say helicopter. Well, I mean, but you're taking care of your family. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, that, that, there's, that's, you know, taking care <laughs> of one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So, that they make sure everybody's all taken care exactly. of. Exactly. And so, lastly, if anybody needs to get in contact with you, where can they obviously tell us about the website? If you want to give out your email address, give us the fun stuff.
1: Cool, yeah, of course. Yeah, so Cortex is can be found at meet Um, really easy M E E T cortex.com. Um, we are super active in responding. People can find us there. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's literally LinkedIn slash in slash Brennan white, the simplest thing possible. Um, and I'm super active getting back to people, uh, you know, at least every couple of days, if not every day. Um, and then, um, uh, I'm on Twitter occasionally. I mostly just share stuff. I don't, not a big, uh, I don't think people want to hear my opinion too much, but at (laughs) Brunomics is my Twitter handle. So all those are options.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Brent White, man, thanks for being on the podcast today. And if you guys, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure you guys subscribe to it. And Brendan, once once again, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast, bud.
1: Thanks for having me. Really great talking to you today.
0: All right, man, we'll talk soon.